Good morning, Melbourne City Church. This is Pastor Ryan, and uh, I am preaching on location at Lilydale Church. Unfortunately, I can't join you in person. I always love to come around, but I've been asked by your pastors to share a word this morning, and I'm really looking forward to it. I hope wherever you are, you've, you've been blessed, uh, probably at home. Um, but, you know, we're coming to the other end of COVID. We've got a lot to look forward to. Um, I'm going to share a word with you this morning. I'm really excited to do that. Thanks for having me, and uh, let's get into it. All right, so this morning I have a word for you, and it's from Luke chapter 24, and I've called it Jesus Alive. But before we get into this morning's word, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads with me wherever you find yourselves, and we're going to invite the Spirit into this place as we yeah, discuss and share the word together. So bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, Lord, um, I am recording this sermon, uh, you know, a few weeks uh, before the event, maybe even a few days. But Father, we just want to pray that no matter when this word is being heard, that the people who hear it will be blessed. And uh, thank you for the gift of technology. I just wanted to pray that you'll speak through me right now as I share a word um, over the internet, as it would be. And uh, yeah, just be with us as we focus in on Jesus' resurrection this morning, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we've just had our prayer. And as I've mentioned, we are going to be working through Luke chapter 24 this morning. And uh, um, Luke is a great book. It's one of the four Gospels. We get four stories, four accounts of the life of Jesus. And Luke, uh, like all the others, has a unique perspective. He wants to share some important details with us. And, uh, you know, I've read this story many times, but uh, on reading it this particular time, I noticed a few exciting things, and I thought, you know, this would be really great to share with you all. On the screen, you should be able to see a picture of a woman, and her name is Dinah Washington, I believe that's how you would pronounce it if you're American. And uh, Dinah is an African-American singer. She was famous uh, maybe you know, around the 40s, 50s, 60s in the United States. And she's most famous for a song called What a Difference a Day Makes. I um, love my pop music. I love you know all the stuff that's out right now. But there's something about me. I just love some of those good old tunes and she has this song called what a difference a day makes and specifically in that song she says what a difference a day makes just 24 little hours and you know at the time of recording we have just seen the conclusion of the american presidential race we have no idea who is going to be president is it going to be joe is it going to be um our, our current president not al but the state's current president in donald trump who knows but these this brief time is going to determine the trajectory of the united states it has such a huge impact and just like the words of these songs are true 24 little hours had such a big difference in the lives of jesus's believers his followers his disciples and i wanted to look at luke chapter 24 because in luke chapter 24 we have three stories that happen over these 24 hours. And from these three stories, we get three points 
that show up in story one, story two, and story three. And I really think if we pull apart what Luke, Luke's story, we can actually see some really intentional points that he's trying to make about Jesus and how we relate to him. And so I don't know about you, but this year has not been the greatest year for me personally. Um, even in our community, we've had some great ups, but you know, there definitely have been some downs. And I guess, you know, you do a little bit of soul searching in the season where we've been at home with our own thoughts. And I found myself going to this text and this text has been really inspirational for me. So what I want to do with you right now is to actually look at these three stories that happen after the resurrection of Jesus. Now in Luke 24, the first story we have is the women who come to visit Jesus at the tomb. And so the story takes place there in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. Now I've put in a little bit of a chart, so you, I'm a visual learner, and so hopefully you'll be able to see what's going on in this story. And I'll read to you some of the things that are coming up. But we have three components to this story in Luke 24. So what we see is we have these women who are coming to visit Jesus at his tomb. Sabbath is over. It's Sunday. And I'm going to pick up our story in verse 5. We're not going to be able to read the story in its entirety. But here we're told the women, they've come to the grave. And when they get to the grave... They see two men, and the women were terrified and bowed down with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? These women, they've come to the grave. They want to, uh, you know, do whatever it was they did in that first century to finish the embalming, I suppose, of Jesus to put spices and so forth because it was Sabbath when they laid his body in the tomb. And when they get there, they don't find Jesus, but they find these two men who we believe were angels, and they're shocked, completely shocked, and they're confused. So they ask this question, you know, uh, these two men, why are you looking among the dead for the living? The second thing we see in this passage is that they are invited to recall the words of Jesus by these two men. In verse 6 and 7, um, now my Bible, let me just bring that back up. Oh, this is great. My Bible has just gone blank. Let's do this. All right, here we go. In verse 6 and 7, it says, He isn't here. These are these two angels talking. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So this is the second thing that happens in this story. They arrive, um, they are confused, and then these two men say, hey, don't you remember what Jesus taught you? Don't you remember what he said all the way back in Galilee? The story finishes in verse 9, and it says, So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. Story number one, okay? Confused women at Jesus' tombs are told to recall his teachings, recall his words. 
And then they go back to the disciples to tell them what they've experienced. So that's story number one. Story number two takes place not long afterwards. The women come, they've shared with the disciples what they have seen, what they have heard, and the disciples, they don't really believe them. And so two disciples decide to go back to their home, which was just outside of the city of Jerusalem in a town called Emmaus. And they're, you know, they're sad, they're not happy, okay? And there on their journey back to Emmaus, they encounter a man. So let's just pick out some of the details from their story. In verse 5 of the story, um, sorry, verse 16 of the story, we're told Jesus shows up, but God kept them from recognizing him. Really interesting detail. So these two people, they're journeying home, they encounter this stranger, and they talked with, with Jesus, they talked with this man, but they are kept from recognizing him. Did they not recognize his voice? Did they not recognize his appearance? Was he veiled? We don't know for certain, but for some reason they couldn't recognize him. In verse 19, you know, uh, the story continues, but, you know, Jesus notices that they're upset. Something's happening. They're not really, uh, you know, chuffed about life. And they're like, hey, how come you don't know what's been going on, man? Like, stuff's been happening. Jesus is like, oh, really? What things, Jesus asks in verse 19. And they say, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. So, encountered Jesus, don't recognize him. And what's more, we also find out that they thought that he was the Messiah. And they, they say he's simply a prophet. We thought he was the Messiah, but it turns out he wasn't. So there is this sort of sense that they don't quite have their, this correct understanding of who Jesus is in light of his death. The story continues, and um, they bring Jesus back to their place. They really love what he's saying. He starts to um, open up the scriptures. Here's what the Bible says in verse 24. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Verse 25 then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his glory? So on this journey home to their place in Emmaus, Jesus starts to unpack scripture to them. He starts to unpack the Old Testament and go, hey, 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 all of these things that you're describing about this Messiah, this this prophet you've told me about, it's actually in the Bible. So he gives them, I think it must have been one of the best Bible studies ever given. Um, imagine that Jesus is teaching them and trying to you know, unpack the complexities of these Old Testament prophecies. And you could just imagine that they must have been gripped with attention to him. 
So they're getting near to their home and they just love what he has to say. And in verse 29, it says, But they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. Right? So Jesus goes to their home and he's going to share a meal. Again, I think this is just a really great story. Uh, Verse 33, um, it says, And within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them. You see, these two people, they go back to Jerusalem. But what's happened in between? Well, in inviting Jesus home, um, Jesus sits down with them and he prays a blessing over the bread. And in that instant, they recognize Jesus. It's, it's amazing. He breaks bread, he prays, and they recognize him. Then he vanishes. And they're like, whoa, what is going on? And this is just too good to be true. So they go all the way back to Jerusalem. It's been a long day's walk. And they head back to share with the disciples what they've just encountered. And it says in verse 36, And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And so this is the second story, okay? Second story, we have two people on the road back home to Emmaus. They encounter Jesus but can't recognize him. They, they thought he was the Messiah, but they think he isn't anymore. Um, and then he starts to teach them from the Old Testament. What an amazing Bible study. And finally, he reveals himself uh, to them in their home. It's amazing. And then they rush back to Jerusalem to share what they have seen, only to discover Jesus there again. So then we get to our third story. And our third story is Jesus' appearance in Jerusalem, which closes our our road to Emmaus story. And so this happens in verse 36 to 49. And so in this particular story, we pick it up in verse 37. We're going to jump back to verse 36. But when Jesus shows up, we're told in verse 37, the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. I've never seen a ghost or what I thought to be a ghost, but I can only imagine that these guys must have been petrified. Um, I, I think Luke is putting in the, this this detail for dramatic effect. Like, this, this must have been some scary thing. You're meant to be dead. You're meant to be in the tomb, Jesus. And they don't know what to think. It's just, it's horrible. And once again, we see this idea of... <clears throat> confusion uh it's jesus in the flesh and blood but they don't recognize him and you know jesus then goes on to teach just like he does on the road to emmaus he says in verse 44 when i was with you before i told you that everything written about me in the law of moses and the prophets and in the psalms must be fulfilled then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. So Jesus unpacks again about, you know, what the Bible had to say, but this time with with not just these two disciples, but everybody gathered in the upper room. And so just to make sure Jesus is alive, we get a few little tidbits of in this story that Luke also throws in. Verse 36 um, says, and just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there amongst, amongst them. 
So we see him show up. And just to make sure he's not a ghost, in verse 42, we're told that the disciples gave him a piece of broiled fish. What an interesting story. Three stories. And in these three stories, we get some really interesting details. And when we put it all together, it actually seems that Luke is being really intentional with what he's wanting to actually say. And so here I really think, friends, that Luke is trying to convey to us beliefs about encountering the risen Jesus. How do we do it? What does it take to encounter the risen Jesus? The end of this chapter has a really interesting verse. And, and well, not Jesus actually says a lot of things, but there's a, there's a particularly interesting thing he says. You are witnesses of these things. When they're in that upper room and Jesus is explaining everything, he says, you are witnesses. You have seen everything I've been through. He tells them about his time in Galilee. He tells them about these prophecies from the Bible. And the wheels in their mind are starting to turn over. Things are starting to slip into gear. But that was not their state of mind at first. And Jesus needs to overcome the errors in their thinking, the errors in their thought patterns. And friends, I... This is where it starts to get a little bit personal and we start to get some application. If Jesus' disciples um, struggled in identifying him, people he spent three and a half years with in ministry, I dare say we too can miss Jesus from time to time in our lives. Let's see how that happened. We're going to recap all of this and try and pull it all together. So when we look at each of these three stories, and you'll see it there on the screen, in the first story, the women at the tomb, when they go to see Jesus, they're told, hey, you're looking for somebody living in the land of the dead. What are you doing? They really thought Jesus was dead. In our second story, um, Jesus has shown up and his disciples can't recognize him. We're told they were kept from recognizing him. But uh, even as he continues to teach and to share, they, they, and they share with him, we learn that they thought he was the Messiah, and he's now relegated simply to the status of a great prophet. And in our third story, what we see is in verse 37 of chapter 24, everybody thinks he's a ghost. Friends, we all have moments in our lives where perhaps we have failed to identify the person of Jesus. You know, we, for many of you, you may have grown up in church. Some of you, maybe not. But Luke is trying to say something profound. We all need to overcome errors in our way of thinking about Jesus. I'll put it this way. To be a witness for Jesus, you need to overcome the errors in your thinking about him. I came across this interesting story. It's about a girl called Whitney Perrick. The story is a bit of a sad one um, with a kind of happy ending. You see, Whitney was in uh, a major car accident, and many people in this car accident, well, in fact, most everybody in the car accident died. There was a few survivors, but there was also a bus that was traveling. And on that bus was a girl called Laura Van Rin. Laura was traveling with a group of students, and as this incident occurred, um, and the emergency servers were called out. They find Laura's body, and they rush her to hospital. They detect a pulse. They detect 
heartbeat, but she's unconscious. And there in hospital, she would spend the next few days and weeks. And eventually she would come back to consciousness. And surrounded by her friends and family, she's just greeted by smiling faces, but she's, she, she looks perplexed. She looks confused. And I have to also add this detail, but she is totally unrecognizable from her incidents, covered in bandages. Um, nobody recognizes her. Anyway, her mother comes to her and says, hey, good to see you, Laura. How are you? So great to have you. To which Laura says, Laura, I'm, I'm not Laura. I'm Whitney. And her family's like, oh, she's, she's just, she's had a big hit. She's concussed. She's confused. And question her again. And she goes, no, 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 I'm Whitney. And they think for a moment, for, for a brief period in time, that she just has some confusion. And somebody in this medical team decides to check out some more details about, about the incident, only to discover that there was a girl who passed away in this bad accident where there were several cars piled up, and her name was Whitney Perrick. Turns out the girl in the bed is not Laura Van Ryn, but Whitney Perrick. And so Laura's parents now need to come to terms that this is not their daughter. And conversely, Whitney's parents need to, who've just gone through the grieving process, they've just buried who they believe is their daughter Whitney, but is in fact Laura, who was also unrecognizable after the incident, but they need to go from a state of grieving now into like celebration. Our, our daughter is actually alive. We thought she was dead. And you can just imagine the seismic shift that must have taken place in that family's life. To discover that this daughter of theirs who they thought was dead, who was gone, is in fact actually alive. It changes everything. It changes the story. It changes the direction of their lives for the better. And friends, I really believe that for many of us, we need to have a shift in our understanding in who Jesus is. We may have grown up knowing about him, or maybe you are coming into faith. But I really believe for some of us, we take for granted who he is. And, you know, we've heard the stories, we believe he's alive, but maybe we've stopped believing that he can actually do the things he did in the New Testament. Maybe he can't do those miracles in my life anymore. Maybe he's... uh, you know, that time is gone. Maybe he doesn't listen to my prayers and, and I'm just here to learn some good morals. Maybe, friends, it's time that, that we start to resurrect a belief in a resurrected Jesus who actually can and still chooses to do the amazing and the impossible today. So how do we do that? Well, just like the disciples of that first century, we need to recall God's word and will. There's a great little saying um, from one of the founders of the Adventist church, and that is her greatest fear was that we would forget where we had come from, that we would forget the, the journey and the trajectory that God had, had set for, for this particular denomination. And friends, I think the same is true for our own personal lives, that sometimes we forget where God has led us, the journey he's brought us on. I know there have been moments in my ministry where sometimes I've been like, what am I doing here, God? Do you really want me to serve you? And then I'm reminded of how God called me into ministry and how he helped me through college. I was a broke student 
and how I was able to find my wife. And some of the best moments of my life happened through these years. But if I forget those moments, those significant, you know, episodes in my life, then I'm more inclined to sort of lose the faith. And so what Jesus does in these stories, what the angels do in these stories, is to remind the disciples of the things that have taken place in the past. Let's have a look what they say. At, at the, for the women at the tomb, the, the angels say, recall what happened in Galilee. Don't you remember the things that he taught you? On the road to Emmaus, Jesus himself goes, hey, let's look at the Old Testament. See all of the things that were said about the Messiah. They probably went to, you know, like Isaiah and, and looked at these messianic prophecies about what was going to happen to him, about how he would be like led like a lamb to the slaughter. And they'll be like, oh, wow, the Bible, it does say that, doesn't it? I, I'm starting to remember. And in verse you know, 44 to 46, again, Jesus starts to teach. And this time he brings those two ideas together. He teaches from the Old Testament and he also teaches from his life. and goes, guys, put these pieces of the puzzle together. Remember the experience that I have brought you through. Remember the teachings. Friends, it's so vital for us as Christians to stay connected to God's word. Especially I feel through this season that we've been in where it's just been I dare say the longer we've been in this lockdown environment, and it seems that we're coming out, but the longer we've been in it, I find the more people have just been less hopeful. The more people have started to, to forget about, you know, what it was like before um, lockdown. I was talking to my youth, and they're like, man, it seems like we've been here forever. How long has it been? And I said, well, basically, I got ordained as a pastor in March, and the following week, we were in lockdown and they're like, that seems like years ago. And I'm like, doesn't it feel that way? And you know, it's like the longer we're in this, just the, I guess the harder it becomes. So friends, God is inviting you and me to recall his words. I think one of the, the, the catch cries of, of this season for all churches has been for all of us to go deeper into God's word, to really sort of... Um, build ourselves up in what God thinks about us, what he says about us, what he believes about us, what he has promised us. But sh when we forget those things, I find it so easy to fall into a place of despondency. And so friends, go back to God's word. It's so important through this season. So let's continue on. Think, yeah, I've just got a bit of a summary statement here. Overcoming erroneous thoughts about the risen Jesus occurs when we recall God's words and will for his life. And I could, I could even say for our lives as well. So that's the second thing we see in these three stories. The third thing I think, it's four, the third thing I think we see in these stories, which is equally important, is that there seems to be discovery in the context of community. In all of these stories where there was confusion, there was, you know, people didn't recognize the identity of Jesus, there seems to be a discovery that's made in the context of community. People together, talking things out, learning things together. And so let's have a look how that takes place. With the women at the tomb, they're all confused. And together they learn that, no, Jesus really has resurrected. And they go back to the disciples. They go back into the city. They go back to Jerusalem to share. Their story, their account isn't accepted. 
but that's not the last opportunity that the disciples will have to learn. Jesus on the road to Emmaus, uh, the two disciples discover who he is at the dinner table at, with the breaking of bread. And I just love, again, I, I love this imagery. And they in turn go to Jerusalem to share what they have learned. And again, in, in this final story where the disciples are all gathered together in the upper room, they see Jesus all together and they watch Jesus eat some fish. And again, there's this sort of idea of food being shared. And so friends, you know, I, I think Luke is being really intentional here with all of these details. Luke really wants us to believe that the best environment for learning and witnessing about Jesus and discovering the risen Jesus is in trust-based community. The best way for us to encounter the risen Jesus is when we do life together. And when we look back at the last few months, <laughs> it's been really hard to do life together. We've been doing life over Zoom, maybe Facebook uh, Messenger or some other means. Um, I'm not sure what you guys have been doing. And I've got to be honest with you, it's been better than nothing for us here at Lilydale. It really has. We weren't sure how this experiment was going to go, but we've discovered that there is a depth in our communities that we didn't think was going to happen. We've come to this realization that it's, you know, people have been able to go deeper. We've had more time to spend on Sabbath. Usually we've been rushing from, you know, Sabbath school into church and then into, we've got a big kids ministries, pathfinders and adventurers, um, or whatever else that may be. But now we've had the time to slow down, to breathe, to share from the week, to share our highs, to share our lows. And friends, it's been amazing. It's been, we've heard some great stories. We've had stories at our church of, of people who were not really, there wasn't really that sense of cohesion and togetherness. And we've just heard these 180 stories of people now falling in love with each other in the sense of community, you know. And it's just been amazing. And I know that you guys come from churches that celebrate small group life. And I really want you to just continue to encourage you to lean into that, to continue to use these spaces as opportunities to grow your faith, to learn, to talk about those hard times you've been through, to talk about some of the, you know, to, to confront some of those doubts and fears that you have in your own faith. Luke wants us to realize how important this is. And he's, he's, I feel like he's almost using this as a plug for his next book, the book of Acts. Because friends, this whole book is about community. Well, there's, there's, it's about a lot of things. But one of the big things it's about is community. Uh, my church is going through a, a, a sermon series in Acts right now. So I've just been just tuned in on this big idea. But friends, Luke really wants you to know that real growth, real discovery takes place in community. So we come to the conclusion. What is Luke trying to say? When we look at all of these things together, and I've got, I'm a visual learner, I've got all my little graphs there. Uh, sorry for some of the, the lost details. Um, but what I'm seeing is, you know, when you, when you think about your local church, there may be any number of people who are in different parts of this journey. Some people may still be overcoming who Jesus is or trying to come to terms with who he is, overcoming error in their thinking. And I'm not saying you're heretics by any means, but, you know, growing in your picture of who he is. Some people in uh, your community are, are taking next steps and are trying to go deeper and unpacking God's word. 
They're, they're falling in love with the person of Jesus as they read the Bible, as they engage in the Old Testament, as they do Bible studies with other people. And I dare say all of you guys, if you're not already, should be trying to get into some kind of community life. These are some important challenges that Luke is presenting to all of us today. I want to finish with a little story. It's about a guy I'd never heard of, and his name is George Mueller. If you've never heard about George Mueller, after you listen to this message, when it's appropriate, go and find his biography. You can find it on Amazon. I've got mine on, on my Kindle, on, on my iPad here. But this is a story of a young guy, and George Mueller starts as this German kid. He, his father, was he's from a middle-class family, but he often stole money from his father, and his father wasn't happy about it. So his father sends him to seminary. Because you're not a great kid. You know what's going to be good for you? I'm just going to send you to a university where you can learn about Jesus. I don't, know if that, if, I don't know if that would cut it today. But that's what George Mueller's father does. And, you know, the impact of being at university, learning about Jesus, learning about the New Testament, the Old Testament, doesn't quite have the impact that his father thought it would. But everything would change when George Mueller would be invited to a small group Bible study that one of his friends was running. There was no pastor there to share a sermon. And so there at this gathering, there are people who are praying on their knees and they, they pray um, and you know, they share from their lives, they share what's going on. And f- this, this moment in time has a huge impact on George. So much so, he has a 180 and he starts to change his life. He starts to fall in love with Jesus. He starts to fall in love with scriptures. And he starts to discover that there is a power in pursuing the God, the Jesus of the Bible. I'm going to cut a long story short, but George Mueller would eventually establish one of the largest orphanages in the United Kingdom, in the city of Bristol. And over its life course, he would deliver thousands of kids from life on the streets. And all of this began when George Mueller encountered Jesus in a small group environment through the hearing of his word. Friends, Jesus wants to do the same today in your community, in my community. Sometimes I think we don't give enough credit to the things, the, 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 the bare necessities of church, which is that small group life. But friends, I'm going to close with prayer, and I just want to pray. If you feel that your life group has been stagnant, I want to pray that God will do something, that people encounter Him in a real and living way. So if wherever you are, I'm just going to ask that you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer, and uh, hopefully you can experience God's presence moving forward as you continue life in lockdown and beyond. Father in heaven, Lord, I just want to say thank you for this story that Luke chose to, chose to include in his account of Jesus. Here we see a group of people who were confused, who had distorted ideas about who Jesus was. And I dare say if we're honest with ourselves, maybe there have been times where we have had distorted pictures and images of who Jesus is. And Jesus, the invitation for us is to learn more about Jesus through the study of his word to get, come to terms with what Jesus has said about himself, about us. And the best environment to do that, according to Luke, is in Christian community, in a faith-based community that is keen to grow together, to journey together. 
And so I want to pray for the churches where our audience is based in this morning, that they would continue to find life and meaning and purpose in their group life, in their Bible study life. It's so easy for these elements of our church experience, for our religious experience, for our spiritual growth to become stagnant. And so in a mighty way, Father, I just want to pray that you'll move through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you'll stir people to action, that you'll stir people to uh, engage on a deeper level through your word, through community life. Thank you, Father, that you give us this opportunity. Thank you that you give Jesus to us in, in such a way where we can know him and he can be known by us. I just want to pray a blessing for these friends again, and I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, it's been great sharing this word with you. God bless, and I hope to see you in person. Take care, and hopefully I'll see you soon. Goodbye.